You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to the third episode of Let's Talk Apple for November 2013. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, we have a fantastic panel, as always. In no particular order, we have Alison Sheridan from the Nozilla Silla Something Cast Mac Podcast. Ah, stop it. Nozilla Cast Mac Podcast, hosted at podfeet.com. Yes, no matter what Leo Laporte calls it, you're the Nozilla Cast. <laughs> we can try. I think I'm going to have somebody else name my next podcast, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Naming is hard. I, I discovered as I All spent I can figure is it rhymes with Mozilla, and that's why they do it. I don't know. Yeah, that's true, actually. That, that probably is the only illa sort of word that we use regularly. Well, there you go. Anyway, thank you, and especially thank you for jumping in last minute. We had a, a slight shuffle of panels, so I really appreciate you volunteering. No worries. Uh, we were also joined by Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices. So welcome aboard, Chuck. Welcome back, Chuck. Thank you, Bart. It's good to, good to talk to you again. Great to have you. And the wonderful Gazmans from the MyMac Podcast rounds out the team for this month. Hi, Gaz. Good evening and good afternoon and good morning, whenever you're listening. Yeah, well, for the panel, I think it's, it's, it's evening for us for sure, and it's probably morning for Alison. Uh, 12 noon. Oh, oh, just not morning. We just missed morning. Take Wait, dead center. Yeah, definitely afternoon for Chuck. I was about to clean yes. windows, so uh, this was way more fun. <laughs> Okay, we've saved you from, from icky housework. That's good. Uh, before we kick into this month's news, I just want to um, call back to a few things from the October show. So we had predicted that Apple would do, as I called it, do a Final Cut Pro ten and reintroduce features that they took out of iWork as they had time. And indeed, Apple released a statement saying, we're going to do that over the next six months. That was followed a wee while later by an actual update. So there has been the first update to the iWork suite to bring back some of the features that went missing, uh, including the weird one that went missing where you couldn't rearrange the menu bar anymore, which is just bizarre. But that's now fixed and back, and there's a couple of other things back too. And there was also an update to mail that app to attempt to address the Gmail funniness. And uh, I don't know how other people's experience has been, but in my case, it's less awful than it was, but it's not right. It, it's still buggy. I think mine's gotten weirder. I didn't have trouble before, but now the main symptom I see is on the iPhone, I'll swipe, hit delete, and then in about five seconds, the mail comes back. So I swipe and hit delete, and then it stays deleted, except one time when I had to do it three times. At first, I thought it was my imagination, but it kept happening. Do you have the all mail folder hidden? Yes, I do. But I never had problems before. Okay, but that thing where deleting doesn't delete... That happens as long as your all mail folder is hidden. Once you let, but the... it eventually deletes. Like the third, the second time, it okay, really does. What's happening is for every tag that that mail has. So you know the way Gmail thinks of them as tags. Mm-hmm. So, for, so right. if that mail was say in the inbox and in another folder, when you swipe once, it loses one tag and it gains the tag deleted. And so, until so the two you've... folders would be inbox and uh, all mail. Yeah, but if I have all mail off. Apple behaves correctly. It's when it's not an all-mail, it doesn't really get properly deleted and it ends up showing up again and it, it, it gets really messed up. Yeah. It's not a big enough annoyance for me to think it's horrible. It's fine. There's other things annoying me more, like mail crashing all the time. <laughs> well, I, I find I have to shut it down and restart it five or six times a day. Oh. 
Now I just get hangups where it just hangs and hangs and spins and spins. Well, I'm, I send them an Instagram really, every day. I'm really going to make you fed up then because I've got a couple of Gmail accounts, but I don't really use them. I've had no problems from the start and mail never crashes for me. Good for so, you. <laughs> Glad to hear it's working for someone. I, I have quite the mix. How many accounts do I have between... I have one, two, three, four... I have six mail accounts linked to it, and that may be making it extra cranky. You know, though, I, mine, mine is as pristine as it could possibly be. It's on a machine that I just bought from Apple that has a fresh install by Apple of Mavericks, and I did not use migration assistant. So I'm relatively certain it's not my end that's causing this. Oh, no, it, it's, it, it, it's... I usually play myself, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's the fact that Gmail do IMAP odd... And Apple are changing how they're interacting with IMAP to try and make it less odd, but it's it's not going well. And I can't even get in this conversation because I use Gmail, but I use it either – well, I don't use it in a browser, but I use it with Mailplane. So I have no problems. Maybe you should try Mailplane. I did the 15-day free trial, and at the end of it, I was in no humor to buy. Oh, I, that's too bad because I have to say I, they've been very responsive with my questions. Uh, they seem to keep it updated on a very consistent basis, and it just gives me a pleasant mail experience. I like Apple Mail, but I've kind of gone over the, the way Google manages it and don't have any problems. Well, you, if you like the googly way of doing things, there is another great app that, that's not quite a wrapper to the web interface, but it does do things the googly way with the tags and all that kind of stuff. And that's – oh, what was it called? Is it – Airmail, that was it. And oh, that, that's, that it's only about five bucks in the Mac App Store. And that one I would have switched to, except it has one failing, which is that it doesn't support S-MIME, so I can't do signing or encrypting. And I wrote them and they said, we're thinking about that for a future version. And I just said, well, consider this a vote. <laughs> um, and when you do it, I'll be back. Um, but I have to say it was a very beautifully implemented app. And it, it, as I say, it was... It did it a Gmail-y way, so not sort of hacky like Apple Mail. Jim, just looking it up, Bart, it's 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 a dollar ninety nine. Must be that special. That's the Mac app, uh, or Mac app store. So I have to check that out as a, as a second choice or alternative. Yeah. Which one did we get off? Of? We got off a of mail plane. I missed the turn. Which one are we talking about now? Uh, Airmail. Airmail. I think it was Airmail. Called, I think it was called Ooh. Airmail. Let me just check that I'm talking about the right one. Purchases time. Yeah, no, you, no, you're right. It no, is. I am it's, right. Yeah, by Bloop. Yeah. SLOR or SRL. Huh. Strange name for a company, Bloop, but there you go. Two it's, bucks. It's a beautiful app. Like, it is absolutely beautiful. Hmm. Well, and the beauty with, with you know, to, to make sure everybody understands, the beauty with Gmail is that I could use Mailplane and then I could flip over on another machine or the same machine to Airmail. I mean, because it's just putting that front end on whatever Gmail is delivering on the back end. So. Or like Take me, choice. I, I ran on the same computer, mailed that app, Mailplane, and Airmail for a week. Yeah, and it doesn't oh. have any pro- problems. Well, no, because they're all, than... it's cloud email effectively. So. so it's sort of like using BusyCal with Calendar? Yeah, yeah. Ah. So it works for you. Yeah, works that seems worth trying. Maybe by the time we're done, you guys talk amongst yourselves, I'll make this my pick. <laughs> we don't do picks in the show, Alison. Dang it! Just, <laughs> we, just talk, we just talk about stuff. Anyway, that's going... Oh, wait, sorry. No, one more from last... Last month, I think, we spent some time talking about the state of poor BlackBerry. That sort of wound itself up as, as November was starting um, when BlackBerry stopped trying to sell themselves and settled for a $1 billion investment, mainly through the purchase of debt and uh, a little shuffle of CEO. 
So, you know, Blackberry are spinning it as, oh, this is a show of confidence in Blackberry's bright future. Yeah, I remain to be convinced. I saw an ad for a Blackberry Q10 the other day. <laughs> Did it make you want to buy it? <laughs> no, it was so clearly faked. It was actually really funny looking. Like the person would swipe and you could, I mean, there's no way a phone would be doing what they were doing as fast as they were doing. It was pretty funny, actually. Oh, dear. It's, it's kind of sad. Anyway, let's get stuck into this month's news. So as the month was starting, um, one of the big stories to hit, I believe the way Irish Technica phrased it, is that the patent war goes nuclear. Um, and there's a bit of backstory to this one because um, it really all started off with a bankruptcy and then a squabble over who gets the parts. And so pretty much the only thing of value that was left in Nortel was its portfolio of patents. And so it went belly up in 2009. The patents were put up for auction. And Google bid on their own, just Google, and Microsoft, Apple, RIM, Ericsson and Sony got together and formed a consortium called the Rockstar Bidco, which was a company for bidding. And they bid $4.5 billion for the Nortel patents, and they won, and Google lost. And that people have kind of been waiting for the other shoe to fall on that, and uh, at the start of the month, the other shoe fell very hard when um, that consortium went after Google directly. Um, and some of the patents... and some of the patents they chose to use were patents about uh, matching advertisements to search terms, which is really going mm-hmm. for the jugular. So, of course, we're in for years and years and years and years and years of stuff. But it, again, it, 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 we're going to be talking about this forever. So I guess we need to talk about it. Yeah. Should we just say, OK, uh, come back in 2026 and we'll tell you how this all <laughs> turned out. It was interesting to me that they they were very specific. They only did like, what, five or eight patents. I mean, there yeah. were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them that they could have done, I think, I read. And well, I might have exaggerated a little bit, but piles. And they well, only yeah, did a few. It was a whole portfolio. So obviously they spent a significant amount of time panning for gold. I don't know how you want to describe mm-hmm. that. But, you know, they seem to have chosen not to have a massive war, but to pick a few very choice pieces. I think it'll be interesting when those companies' um, relationships break up and they start trying to use Rockstar to sue one of the other companies that's part of the consortium. That'll make it really interesting. Can that happen? I don't. Well, if if the relationships break up, Bart, I think in this world anything can happen. Hmm, that, that would be quite bizarre, though. Um, it I would. Mean, it would. I mean, Apple are in these kind of organi- these kind of groupings already with stuff like is it the MP4 stuff? Um, the, 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 the H264, isn't that owned by one of these consortium with lots and lots of different companies? And I believe Microsoft is in the H264 one as well, along with Apple. Mm, that, 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 sounds, that sounds right, Bart. I don't know. Sounds, but, I, I'm convinced we've talked about it at some stage in my long history of talking about things. Uh, because th- there was news a while ago where H264 had been given as free uh, free for people to make clients for, but people who encoded to it to sell it had to pay royalties on it. And that deal came to an end, I believe it was in 2012 sometime, and the big question was, was were they about to start charging everyone for H264? And then I think they said that they're going to keep it free for at least five years, and that's why it sort of vanished out of the news again. Yeah. Trolling up from the depths of a very old IMP episode there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, so, people, what are the what are the companies that are on the other side of the war? Did we specifically say those? Google. 
no, 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 no. The consortium, though, is Microsoft, oh, Apple, RIM, Ericsson, and Sony. Yes, exactly. Because we didn't actually have the Apple angle in here yet. Yes, so, uh, yeah, so Apple together. And yeah. I think everyone had perhaps hoped that the, 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 that the, the Rockstar group would be used purely defensively, but with all the other lawsuits flying around, I guess it was inevitable that this would happen too. Um, something people have said is, oh, well, this is Apple being a patent troll, and... I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't like this, and I don't like any of the U.S. patent system. But Apple are not a non-practicing entity. Apple are very much practicing. Yeah. I I, I see this as protecting territory. I, I agree, Bart. I don't. I don't think that fits the patent troll model. You know, you can if you want to blame someone for being aggressive, fine. Uh, you can you in that case you can blame Apple, you can blame Samsung, you can blame Google, you can blame you know you can, the list just goes on and on of people that have taken what many of us would consider offensive moves mm. in in patents, but not not in this situation. This this just feels like protecting your territory. Yeah, Gruber wrote a, a response to this when there were a lot of people being very anti-Apple, and he said, "Okay, well that's one point of view. Another point of view, then." So he sort of puts forward the other side is that Motorola is owned by Google, and Motorola have been found guilty of abusing FRAND patents, which means that of all of the people involved here, the only side who have abused uh, fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory pricing models is Google, who would judge, judge that to be so. So that, that's one way of looking at it, and of course the fact that Motorola have been going after Apple. So is Apple firing the first shot? Arguably not. Anyway, that's... I think I kind of regret the fact that this is going to be news. <laughs> I don't know. I think this. One, I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of these these you know gang wars going on uh, with weird people getting together. I mean, Apple, Microsoft together against Google is kind of fun. You know, BlackBerry's in there just for the comedy. Uh, <laughs> if you look at it as a giant game of Risk, basically. Yeah, yeah. Strategizing and yeah, and, oh, and it's not like any of it ever ends. Certainly that, not. We're so, going to come to that in a minute. <laughs> Certainly that Ars Technica um, piece describes it as patent trolling gone corporate, which um, <laughs> is yeah, one view. Is one legitimized. View. If, if you take that view, then I don't think Apple started the game of corporate patent trolling because I no. would argue that Samsung and Motorola surely have pre-existing art. Uh, you know what? Link bait. Link bait, yes. Th- those, kind of, those kind of phrases are just complete link bait because – there's, find me somebody that will defend patent trolling, you know, other than a patent troll. I, so, I can find you two, actually. You, you I, can I, find I'm two segueing here somewhat. Um, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, go for it. At the end of, the, of last week's show, I had mentioned that there was going to be stuff happening in Washington that might see movement towards some laws on this patenty thing. Um, and indeed, there was movement. Uh, the U.S. House of Representatives Judiciary Committee, um, in fact, managed to pass something out of the committee, which is nice. Unfortunately, so the idea was to pass an anti-patent trolling bill, and after some lobbying by Microsoft and IBM, all of the bits that actually might prevent patent trolling were stripped out. So the bill passed, but it's not really what we wanted. So that made me cranky. Well, and this and this surprises you? <laughs> no, it doesn't. But I had hopes. I shouldn't, but I did. Yeah. Well, they're in the business now, aren't they? <laughs> With Rockstar. Yeah. So the next thing then is the other never-ending story, which I think is an example of where all this is going to go. You see, if patent law actually meant something, then the fact 
that Samsung have been found guilty of it would have changed in some way the reality of the field, but it really hasn't because it took so long for the court case to come through that the products that it's now been decided Samsung owe Apple some money for and might be given an injunction, maybe. I mean, they're old products now. That's irrelevant. And by the time anything current gets into the courts, it's already much too late. So that the futility of it strikes me in that only now are we coming to some sort of resolution in Apple v. Samsung, and even then the thing's still open to 20 more appeals. So what did happen this month is there was a retrial of... So a jury found Apple... Sorry, a jury found in favour of Apple and said that Samsung had validated patents, and then they awarded Apple a little over a billion dollars. And then it turned out that they'd made a bit of a whoopsie, and so although the actual their guilty bit is sound and is not up for debate the how much samsung owe bit part of it was up for debate and so there was a retrial for damages so the, it was never a case that apple could be found or sorry that samsung could be found not guilty that was not in doubt it was just to figure and use some of damages and so the end result apple said we'd like 380 million for this bit samsung said how about 52 million and the jury went 290 it is so 290 million is that bit but then they 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 tried to stop it, didn't they, in some uh, clause? But many. then the judge the judge threw that out, didn't they? Yeah, even yeah. actually, this really did made me cranky. So even after the jury had gone off to do their thing, actually, the jury at one stage asked if they could have a copy of the court artist's painting of them. Yeah, which was a bit <laughs> weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one I liked was the they menu. also asked for uh, masking tape. And highlighters and stuff. And you can just picture what they were doing was covering up all the logos and setting them side by side to see whether they could tell the difference. But they'd already done all that before, right? Why were they doing that and just deciding about the money? Yeah. Yeah, that that is true. There was an interesting interview with some of them afterwards where they were explaining, so where did this number of 290 million come from? And apparently it's all down to one very credible Apple witness who basically laid out that this much for this, this much for this, this much for this. And Samsung argued at one point, and so they weren't quite sure, and they decided to split it down the middle, and the end result was 290. Um, this is the song that never... But it is, oh, because <laughs> in a related story, um, in this, exa- this, this is the same case again, so still Judge Lucy Coe's case. Um, so they had found that Apple... Sorry, they found that Samsung was guilty and the judge had refused an injunction and Apple appealed the judge's refusal to give an injunction, which went up to a higher court, which has now come back to say that the judge has to reconsider an injunction. But these, if we're talking about injunctions over products, no one cares about because they're just old. Yeah, I would really like somebody to explain. It clearly does still matter. I mean, in this case, it's a million dollars or billion dollars or whatever, but... A lot of times they keep going when those things don't no longer exist, and and I don't quite understand that. I would really love somebody to explain why they keep going. Well, well, I would say that they're going to keep going because uh, do do you pay or does the um, uh, the uh, party that loses have to pay all court bills? Nope, not necessarily. Ah, I think you get to argue. About that's that too. why we have so much crap going on here, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know that's true in Japan, and like their their uh, rate of lawsuits is really low. You know, for yeah. regular humans. Well, one of the things that was proposed but didn't happen in in, in the various bills to try to deal with patent trolling was a simple thing. Where, what about if you make a patent claim which proves to be invalid, that you have to pay the cost of the poor people you accused? I, I, yeah, so, sorry, but I just had a, a different mind um, pro- going through my process there. Sorry. Uh, 
I think actually the money doesn't matter to Apple, does it? We know that. They've got billions. They've what also ma- said that, yeah. Um, what matters is obviously the precedence, doesn't it? It, it? It's setting a precedence going forward. And I think that's what they want in their armory. So you're thinking long game, the next time yeah. something happens, they come yeah. and say, well, now, Samsung, yeah. an already you know, adjudged infringer. And and also the fact that, you know, it, if if they kind of let it go or it gets let go, then they could be seen to be, you know, making it easy for others to just say, okay, well, you know, let's try it because at the end of the day, we'll go through lots of court cases, but nothing will actually happen. happen. You know, guys, that's a that, that's such a great point, and it's something that I think even we forget, and so many people forget, is that the whole system is based on precedence, and if you mm-hmm. don't take something that maybe doesn't seem like it's worth fighting over or shouldn't be fought over, if you let that slide, that can come back to bite you and maybe bite you bigger the next time. So yeah. in, in a lot of ways, they, they have to fight some of these things early on, whether it's for big money or small money. Yeah. And one of the th- one of the, the headlines that jumped out as this as this case, as this retrial kicked off, um, I, I, I think it's uh, over Apple Insider. The headline was Samsung colon no disputing we sold Apple's product and we and owe a huge sum of money. So just the fact that Samsung had to stand up in court and say, yeah, look, we know we're guilty and we know you owe you lots of money, but we think fifty two million is lots. <laughs> that means something. Yeah. That's only an extra $52 because they still owed him the other money, right? Yeah, so of the billion, only f- about, was it about $420 million was was being retried here? So yeah. that 420-ish went down to the 290. So, uh, uh, big numbers, very big numbers. But then again, this we're talking about a song that, uh, oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, you're right, you're right, Alison, and it... It, it, it makes it, one of the nice things about doing a monthly show instead of a weekly show is that I only have twelve times a year when Apple v Samsung can come and annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I still want him to fight him. I'm tired of Samsung stealing from them, and I don't know. It was so egregious, you know. It wasn't even close. Yeah, and particularly the older the products, the more egregious it was. Because it's fair to say that Samsung have found ideas of their own and have run with them, and. It's very, yeah. You couldn't possibly say that one of these giant new Galaxy phablets in any way represents is you know a ripoff of the iPhone because it just isn't, right? Um, and and you know Samsung even before all this started was a pretty giant corporation. There aren't that many there aren't that many companies that can take on a giant corporation like that and sort of expose some of what they do. And I'm not about I'm not indicating that I've known that Samsung has been doing anything, yes, no, or maybe. But you know, when there's smoke, there's fire, and you do have to wonder if any of the other things that they've been into into over the years have infringed on anybody else that just couldn't possibly take them on. It's hard so, to know, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm just being paranoid. I don't know. But yeah, I guess it's a question that that certainly leaps to mind. Any final we'll, thoughts? We'll, we'll, we'll take that as just a we'll take that as just a possible personal view, of course, Chuck. Oh yeah, no oh yeah, presenting this show. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, I, you know, again, possible, but but you know, when you think about Samsung and and just the legal bills, yeah, that's you know that right there, and 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 there does seem at least since since the Apple world has started paying attention to Samsung. It seems like this has been a trend. 
It's it, not it, like there's a surprise here, you know, the the phablets, the phones, the tablets. You know, it does make God. you wonder, actually, if you if you think back, it make it makes me wonder just how much press they've made out of this as well. How much of all of that coverage and how much of their name being in the papers would have cost them, um, you know, rather than just elongated and going through this this case or cases. Do you think it's good press or is it sort of like anybody mentioning you is good? People say the name Samsung. Well, it's been Alice. set up. It, 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 it's right. been set up into a world of two players in the mobile space now: yeah. Apple and Samsung. And you have a whole population of people who have an emotional anti-Apple response, and the the anti of Apple has become Samsung. Yeah. Mm. And if you look at everyone who's in the business, Samsung have played they've played things well. I mean, they got there quick according to this court case, by copying Apple. There's no way that the billion in damages and the lawyer's fees is going to be offset by the billions and billions in profit and the fact that they are positioned as arguably the number one or the number two, depending on quite how you count things, player in the market. If they're not number one, they're number two. If they're not number two, they're number one. So they haven't done badly. And this hasn't... The fact that they stood up in court and said, yeah, we're guilty, we owe Apple a huge sum of money, that... They're not suffering. They are on top of their game. So this is just an annoyance then. I mean, I don't think that that was a contributor, though, to them becoming successful in the marketplace. I mean, maybe maybe their name more known for it. Yeah, I I agree with that, Alison. But I think, you know, it's not – I don't think it's done them very much in the way of harm, to be honest with you. Mm. What I think it really shows up is the the ineffectuality of the patent system. With the exception of lawyers getting very rich – it's doing very little good. Well, at some point, that $1 billion might show up, right? Yeah, but that's nothing. I'm convinced I've seen this, one, of the, one of the analysts say that they've made at least $10 billion out of those devices. So is that just an overhead? Work it into <laughs> your math. Manufacturing, right. lawyers, <laughs> sales and marketing. Maybe. Business model, right? There you go. So it's... It, I think the reason I'm extra cranky is because it just shows up that this whole patent racket is achieving nothing. Apart from it, a lot of column inches. Yeah, it's not achieving what it probably first set out to achieve. So the challenge is to set up something better. I, I would agree, yeah. And how do you, you, know, how do, you do that? I'm, I'm, I don't want to defend the patent system, but how do you... I'm, Bart, if you, if you, I don't know, invent some camera gizmo... And you want to protect it. What are your options? Because if it's a really good gizmo, somebody's going to copy it very yeah, quickly. And, I mean, I don't think the concept of patents is wrong. I think the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office have given too many too easily. Mm-hmm. To the point that it's almost, you, you can patent the daftest thing. And also, there's, there, if I were to look at the European patent system and the American patent system, the biggest difference between the two, because in many ways they're not that different, because there's also treaties saying that a patent in America is valid here and stuff like that. But one of the big things that sets them apart is that in Europe you cannot patent an idea. You can only patent a device, a gizmo, a thing. Whereas in America, you can patent the concept of right of double-clicking. You can patent the concept of right-clicking. You can patent the idea of one-click purchase. And they're all real patents I'm talking here. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. And I don't think it's a positive difference. But doesn't that fit in with the idea of intellectual property? 
Well, we have laws for outright copying. We have copyright. We have trade dress. Why is the patent system involved in making ideas property instead of implementations of ideas? Hmm. Now you can see why he's all cranky. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is an interesting question. Yeah. Also, a question like, well, can you patent an algorithm? Is maths patentable? The answer, I believe, uh, so far has been no. But so are the Feynman diagrams not patentable? The Feynman diagrams. And that's a way of solving the math, right? I don't Those think are... that's patentable. I mean, obviously, this happened a long time ago. But I mean, would something? Would it be illogical for that? I don't know. I don't know. This is one of those things where I think it's real easy to sit around and say what's wrong and what should be different. And yet, uh, well, if we were the people faced with the problem, I think it's probably really hard. Well, we pay we pay people full time to solve these kind of problems. We, that's what we pay our politicians for to actually work to solve these problems. Is that what right. we pay but them I'm for? Just that is what we pay them for. Believe it or not, it doesn't often show, but it is. But no, oh, I, mean, I, know, I understand that. I'm just. It, I think we need to acknowledge that it's complicated. It's oh, hard. Sure. It's changing yeah. incredibly rapidly versus what it was built on. You know. But I think the biggest reason it's hard is because there's big money involved, and big money has more of an effect on politicians than people. Well, we it's, can't solve it here. Yeah, the yeah. the digital aspect is is probably the biggest leap forward, and the problem that the patent system is having problems with. Yeah, and I mean the way it was initially set up with the purpose of protect of fostering innovation, and it, it was a bargain, so it was a give and take. So in exchange for the protection of the patent, what you agreed was that when the protection ended, it went into the public domain, and the term was initially five years. So you basically got a five year legally protected head start in exchange for helping the whole of society by making your invention public after that. Which is a nice deal, and that seems positive socially. But 25 years on software stuff, it's too long, in my opinion. Digital world moves fast. Okay, what's next? No, wait, there's... (laughs) I can't let that go. There's an interesting point, because this system is not that old. The digital world doesn't need to move fast, and that may be the crux of the whole matter. In in 1950s, 60s, I'm not sure when the system was set up, but uh, until the 80s and 90s, things didn't move this that fast, yeah. and so maybe it was very valid then. Maybe indeed, it's it's the time frame in a digital era that needs to be adjusted. Yeah, because you need to protect R and D, or it won't happen. So that is why you need a patent system of some sort. So you know, it, it's not just oh, abolish it, will all be great? Because that's not the answer either. No. Yeah. Amen. Alison, you said to move on, so... Uh, <laughs> actually, is, Sorry, I, I can take this for a while, but I just... The patent thing, we're never going to answer no, it, so I, I get no. bored. Sorry. Well, yeah, we only have to do it 12 times a year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, this seems to be a week of many things that make me grumpy, um, or a month even. So the other thing that of note that happened is that both Google and Apple released transparency reports in November... Um, Apple released the most numbers. So in, in Apple's case, we have a lot of numbers and graphs, and they're, they're quite revealing. But Google, despite not having as much detail, still had some interesting points. Um, as a European looking at this, two things stood out to me. Um, on Apple's graphs, we have very exact numbers for every country that's in the report, except for America, where it's banded by the thousands. 
I think you haven't really set this up enough yet. Okay, We're all looking at what you're looking at. So a transparency report about what? Oh, yes. Sorry. That that actually is a good point. Yes. (laughs) We're reading what you're reading, but the audience is not. That is true. So as of the last while, basically since Snowden, um, Apple, Microsoft, uh, Google, and a bunch of other companies, Facebook, have started to periodically release reports of how many times governments ask them for stuff. And that's what these reports are on. So how often are we asked by whom? So which governments are looking for how much from us? How often? Uh, In every country in the report, apart from the US, those numbers are exact. As in, you know, let me see if we dig up an exact example here from Apple. Um, But it's down to the individual person. Uh, It's terrible. Why can't I find the link to the actual raw information? This is a terrible radio now. <laughs> I could start singing for again, cannot Bart. be found. Oh joy! <laughs> Apple PR forward slash PDF. The PDF has moved. Thank you, Apple. Nice. Well, yeah. So for every country apart from America, the numbers are exact, like you know, five hundred and twelve or whatever the actual numbers are. Whereas for America, they're in bands of a thousand, which is unfortunately because of FISA. Um, well, because of the Patriot Act, actually. That's all that they're allowed to say. And the Google statistic that's particularly interesting is that Google said that around the whole planet, requests have doubled. Which is not necessarily a case that governments are becoming more spy-happy. It's possibly because there's more people on these services. So the more people you have, the more requests are going to come in. But in the US, it's tripled. Whereas in the rest of the world, it's doubled. And I suppose there is one other thing we have to mention is that uh, the Apple one did something odd, which I believe is being called a warrant canary, um, which if you don't get the reference, when coal miners used to go down into the mines, there were gases that could kill them or explode and kill them, but there was death involved. And canaries died quicker than people. So you brought down a canary, and as long as the canary was alive, you were safe. And when the canary died, you got the Donald Duck out of there. And Apple have written a line to say, we have not received any requests under FISA. Because if you do get a FISA request, it's illegal to say. So by putting that in, as long as that sentence is there, it means they haven't got one. And when that sentence subtly disappears, then they have. So it's like the canary. That, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but it's, a, it's an indication that that's why they did it. And they could just change the web page like they moved the PDF, right? And everybody go, oh! It is true, yeah. It is a bit card reading, isn't it? Because they can't actually just come out and, and say, oh, yes, we are putting in a warrant canary here, therefore you can tell when we've received a FISA thingy that we're legally not going to tell you we've received. Because right. I think that goes from being legally grey to being, hello, Mr. Supreme Court, sorry, we won't do that again. I like it, though. I do, I like it. It's clever. It's it's pushing things. And by releasing these reports, and they seem to be coming out not just annually, I think it's quarterly, because I think it's been about three months since we got the last lot of them. They're putting pressure on the political establishment in many countries, not not just in the US. I mean, G- GCHQ in the UK are coming under quite as much scrutiny as yeah. some of the American three-letter acronyms. So this kind of, the companies are being able to release this. It makes all of their users, which are many of them, think about these things and ask questions of their politicians, I hope. No one seems very exercised about this, apart from me. <laughs> I, th- I think I think we're fatigued on it. You fatigued. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, it's been going on long enough that we're like, ah, another story on this. 
and not just that, but at, at some point, I don't know, you can only tilt a windmill so, so long. You know, what, what can be done about this? What should be done about this? Should there be anything done about it? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm somewhere between can't get excited and fatalistic about it. Well, the first thing that needs to happen for anything to change is for there to be a public debate. So these reports definitely contribute positively to that. Whether there's enough public interest to make change happen is a whole different question. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But it certainly can't do any harm. Oh, no, it's fodder for podcasts. I I would (laughs) hope it's also fodder for discussions when when politicians come looking for your vote. But that's, that's the idealist in me again. Yeah, I can I can really imagine if a politician comes to my door and I ask them a question about this, the glazed look that's going to go over their eyes when I ask them the about it. The strange thing is when politicians come to my door, they never stay long. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not invite Martin, them in for tea, Bart? For tea, yes, I fatigue right them. Bart, but it's an interesting point. You know, individual politicians... How do you go about this? How do you how do you try, try to hold one politician's feet to the fire? Well, to some extent, politicians are very clever in that. Whenever you ring a politician's office or send them a letter or send them an email, all of those things are very carefully catalogued. And little graphs will be done at the end of every day, week, month, whatever time frame they care about. What has people exercised this week? And whatever it is that shows up on the people are cranky about this. That's what the politicians will make speeches about and will start thinking about. And so, well, you're right that one politician can't do anything, but if all the politicians are getting the same feedback that people seem exercised about this... The first one to put his name up there and start putting his his flags to the mast, uh, either for or against, will then obviously either do extremely well out of it or could possibly do really... Really rather badly out of it. Well, in the US, we already know who's first to nail their colours to the mast, which would be Ron Wyden. Um, But now, he has the advantage of having been talking about this literally for years, and when Snowden came out, people finally started to take him seriously, which I I think as a politician is sort of a godsend, when you get to say, aha, but I was here before it was popular. Um, Yeah, anyway, you're right, it it will be interesting, but I, I think I'd like to believe that the zeitgeist does feed up. Maybe I'm just being too idealistic. Maybe, maybe that's it. Anyway, this isn't the politics show, although... <laughs> it's starting to feel like it, isn't it? It is starting to feel like it, and I'm not about to help matters. <laughs> because it is very rare for Apple to stick their head into politics. It, it's not, we don't think of Apple as a crusading company that's out there making a big deal about making political donations. They do make some, but they don't make a big deal of it, and they don't very often you know, raise their voices on matters politic. They have lobbied Congress about patents, which makes great sense. And then this month, Tim Cook did something very unusual because he's generally just a quiet chap anyway. But he wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And the op-ed was in favour of something called Enda, which in Ireland, that's a first name. I don't know if that's a first name in America. Um, In fact, it's the name of our Prime Minister. He's Enda Kenny. Um... Hmm. But in America, ENDA is the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. And what was basically up for debate in the Senate was whether or not to add sexual orientation to the list of things you can't be discriminated on. So you already have things like you can't lose your job just because you're coloured. You can't lose your job just because you're Muslim. You can't lose your job just because you're female. 
and they want to add more to this, including you can't use your job just because you're gay. And so that's what the act was about. And so Tim Cook wrote the op-ed and made the points of dignity and what you would expect a, a fairly left-wing person to say. And then he went on to do something which I think is actually more interesting. He made the economic case for hmm. non-discrimination, where he basically said that if you have a workforce who feel wanted, who feel that their dignity is protected, they will work better and harder. And if you have a more diverse workforce, you will have better ideas and your company will profit. I, that, that was a good way to look at it. So, Bart, I worked for 35 years for a company you probably wouldn't um, embrace, uh, a federal <laughs> contractor and an 80,000-person company, and this is exactly the way we worked. We had uh, diversity policies that were based on the financial business sense of having diverse opinions. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget one of our presidents standing up saying, um, I, won't ref- I won't surround myself by yes men, because if I do, then the best idea we have is mine. And I think we can do better than that. So <laughs> we were encouraged to have uh, open discussion and, and embracing, you know, cultures and races and genders and, you know, everybody being part of it. And it came from the top down. Uh, our president, Bill Swanson, was... Uh, just so openly spoke about about diversity and uh, including uh, gay issues. And in fact, one of his top level executives was transgender and uh, works directly for Obama now. And so it was I mean, you you just never thought about acting any other way. I mean, I'm sure there's pockets of idiots and that kind of thing all across the company. But um, it, it just makes perfect business sense is, is if you don't have all these different ideas, then how are you going to do well? It's just not going to happen. Yes. I certainly so, agree with that. I agree with Tim because Bill Swanson told me to. <laughs> well, you've seen it in action, right? It, it's, it's not academic oh, yeah. for you. Yeah. You've worked in, yeah. in, in an institution or an organization, whatever way you want to phrase it, where that was put into practice and it was fruitful. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times it takes being hit over the head by it, you know, Um, for example, one of the things that was hard for me to learn was that just because somebody was quiet didn't mean they didn't have something to say and didn't have value is, you know, I'm the loud one talking 95 percent of the time. And I figure if you're not talking, I must be smarter than you. (laughs) It's not true. No. Yeah, and, and you know, um, certain genders or, or certain races might be quieter. Certain types of people might be quieter. So, uh, if I had to get hit a lot of times, you know, just hey, pay attention. I, I've got to say, Alison, if we were all the same, nobody would be able to understand a word of this podcast because we'd all be trying to talk over each other all the time, <laughs> right. instead of just me talking over everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually we've been we've been very good. The sky gods so. have been kind. Definitely. Because yeah. I mean, now, now you've done it. I have done it now, haven't I? But no, people <laughs> sometimes think, oh, those podcasters are very rude. They're always talking over each other. But if Skype has a lag of more than 200 milliseconds, it will happen. And In my case, it's just me being rude, just so everybody <laughs> no, knows. <laughs> we'd never say that out loud. With, with reference to the story. Sorry. Topic. What was the story? <laughs> I work for, I've got to say, just backing up with what Alison just said as well, I work for um, actually a, a, another American company for, I was with them for 16 years and they were really hot on that sort of stuff. Diversity was, was massive. And the company that I now work for, which is a UK company, they're also very hot on making sure that everybody's opinions um, are included. And not everybody's opinions matters, but you've got to include them to find out whether they matter. Yes. 
No known knowns, yeah. no known unknowns, and all that stuff. Not but, just that you can't get fired. <laughs> right, but, yeah, but yes. having yes. having to, if you work in a place where you know you can't be yourself because it will get you fired, that even if the person is very intelligent, very smart, that hampers you, and, and that creates an atmosphere that's really quite unpleasant, to, to put it mildly. And I, I like the idea that Tim just wasn't waving the uh, the political agenda banner, but he was waving the business banner. And Allison, I think you hit it spot on. You know, there there are good business reasons here, and and I I find it almost refreshing that you don't have somebody just you know standing up in the name of God, country, and you know whatever else that they're they're waving the flag about, um, and and saying you know look just at, at the bottom line. And I mean the financial bottom line. Mm-hmm. This makes sense. It it benefits, and that that just appealed to me a whole lot. As as a business person, that I, I like that approach. And the Wall Street Journal is a pretty good platform to make that argument. Indeed. Now I was slightly good, good on him. It was behind their paywall, so all I got to see was all the expert the ex- excerpts, excerpts everyone was quoting. Experts, excerpts, <laughs> um, but the excerpts look great. Cool. And then I should say, so Tim wrote his op-ed. The vote happened in the Senate. The Senate passed the bill. It was not filibuster. or It was filibuster, but the filibuster was broken by Republicans coming with Democrats and passing it with a good supermajority. So through the Senate Yay. it went. Uh, Tim Cook then tweeted, which he doesn't do very often either, to say, thanks very much. Now let's hope the House of Representatives does the same. Because obviously for a bill to become law, as we all know from the Schoolhouse Rocks cartoon... Has to go both houses and then the president has to put his signature on it. Unfortunately, um, it went to the house and I'm not sure I would use the word dead, but they're ignoring it to death. They have said they're not going to let it be voted on. And this is slightly cranky making because it seems pretty clear if there were a vote, it would pass. It's just not being let have a vote. I don't like that. How do you not vote? Ah, because the Speaker of the House, a certain chap of orange complexion, uh, he has the right to say what is and isn't done. He, the power of the Speakership of the House is the power to say what's on the agenda. So if it doesn't come on the agenda, you can't vote on it. Hmm. So that's why who holds the big gavel makes such a big difference in the House. That is your power. No, it, just because it's, it's on hold doesn't mean it's dead, but it is definitely on ice at the moment, so we shall have to watch. And that, I'm glad to say, unless someone else wants to chime in, is the end of the politics for today. <laughs> it's Oh, darn. <laughs> well, no, I, I, mean, I hope people don't hold is it against you, Is us. that all you could come up with, that? Oh, I, if I was doing a <laughs> politics podcast, I promise you I could come up with a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, for some reason, the, the November news intersected politics a lot more than your average month's news. And I hope, I hope listeners forgive us that. Um, I now want to move from the dangerous realm of partisan politics into the realm of corporate politics, or really corporate governance. And there was a new story this month, which I actually did a double take when it crossed my newsreader, because I didn't think it could be true. But it is true, and it's a story that almost no one noticed. So Microsoft are a big player in the tech world, and they are one of Apple's potential big competitors, particularly in the mobile space. They just haven't quite executed. And... A pet theory of mine has been that the reason Microsoft are suffering is not because they don't have good ideas, because I think the stuff they do in the Microsoft labs proves that's rubbish. They do have good ideas. Uh, 
the problem is the management structure seems to kill them. They die between the lab having a great idea and Microsoft releasing a product. And one of the controversial things Microsoft did was something called the stack rank, which is a very boring name. But the idea is that within every team, you have to rank X number of people as being above average, X number of people as being average, and X number of people as being below average. Which means that you cannot have a team with multiple superstars because they're now in competition with each other and they can't, one of them has to be said to be average and the other one gets, only one of them gets to be above average, which is nonsense if you have two really smart people. And it also means you have an incentive for your staff to backstab each other because the only way up is for someone else to go down. And that has been in place in Microsoft for a long time and uh, Steve Ballmer has defended it many times. And then with very, very little fanfare, they just went, oh, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And so I have really dead. strong opinions on this one, Bart. And I think you and I may have duked this out on another show. But uh, again, back to 80,000-person company, I lived for 35 years with a centrally stacked ranking, and I do not understand how in a big company you would do anything else. And, and let me explain why I think it's the right way to go is wow. that you need to motivate people to perform highly – and the way you motivate them is, is with things like promotions and money. And when you're talking about, say, in California, we had an 8,000, 8,000 person engineering organization. How do you decide who gets the bigger raises? How do you make sure that high performers are highly compensated versus just uh, peanut buttering across everybody? Because a line manager left to themselves will say, oh, okay, so this guy's like an A and this guy's an A plus and this guy's an A minus. And so they all need really, really good raises, and they'll make the raise different by a quarter of a percent. And you don't motivate the workforce because then the guy at the high end – to me, it's like communism. It's, it's like saying, uh, okay, we're all the same, you know, and then nobody does any work at all. Okay, but the problem with the Microsoft system is not that it ranks people. The problem is that your ranking is not actually a ranking of you objectively. It's a ranking – the ranks are forced into a bell curve that may not be yes. an accurate reflection of a team. Yes, yes, yes. that's correct. And there are There are cases where – if the sample set gets too small, that it breaks down. Correct. But it's still a bell curve is, is correct. A bell curve is correct over 80,000 people. No, 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 no. A bell curve is correct over a lot fewer than that. It's, yeah, I okay, would say no, it's I'm o- saying, you, over 20. It's not even slightly controversial to say it's correct over 80,000. The problem with the bell curve is you, they, they won't be doing it over the, the whole company. They'll be doing it over departments within the company. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's still valid. It, it, that is still, it's, still, it, it, it's still valid as long as you've got a big enough um, range of people, Alison. I was in a big organization, that same American organization, that had 20,000 people. Uh, however, the departments that that process was being used in was minuscule in certain areas and it was unfair to those that that part of the organization so it does work i agree exactly with what you're saying um because it does get the right um it does get the right people with the right uh salary increases if they deserve it but if you've got if you've got a big enough uh environment for that to work in in microsoft we were dealing with you know single digit teams having to be stack ranked well, I don't think I, I, single digit and team are the same thing. Well, if you have I mean, a group like, of not, developers working on something, they would have so, to be ranked. That doesn't say stack ranking is bad. That's saying they they're, they poorly implemented something. Yes. Okay, but I was saying can, Microsoft stack ranking is bad. I mean, Microsoft. my problem was not with the concept that you should rate your employees. My concept was the way Microsoft was doing it. I mean, Apple must 
do something to rank their employees, right? Every every company must. Wait, I got to get in this because I, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't dis- disagree more. I've worked, Allison, in two Fortune 500 companies um, that were not in the engineering in- industry, that were in the financial services industry. And there were times in those companies that we had departments, teams called, called the division what you want, and, and they were all made up of stars. And I, and I really mean that. Everybody was doing a, an outstanding job. There were no slackers. There was no nothing. And, and to say that that – I mean maybe that's truly an aberration, but that should be something you strive for, that you weed out the, the not-so-good ones. But I don't know that you do it because, Bart, as, as Bart said, you know, on a, on a five-man team, that means somebody's got to be ranked as really performing poorly. And, well, and again, by, it by doesn't have to be done to. poorly. You can do it well. You could say, okay, it's got to be down no further than uh, 20 people. Okay, but my issue, though, with Microsoft is that it was not done well. It was done in a way that was poisonous. But everybody's running around saying stack ranking is bad, and I think stack ranking is the only way you can do it in a large organization. Because I've been a manager of line managers who would not rank their people low unless that gun was to their head. My understanding is that stack ranking is a very particular implementation of ranking, though, that has only really been used within parts of GE and within Microsoft. I I didn't think it was like the normal process used throughout the whole of industry. So what's the difference between ranking and stack ranking? It's to do with how strict the rules were on this up and down stuff. As in, it was not acceptable to have a team of of, of all-stars because although that may be true in reality, the rank could never reflect that reality. No, the, the, the previous company I was in, they've been doing that for a long time. But Yeah, so I'm not saying that the concept of review is wrong, but Microsoft had a particularly poor implementation of, of, of the idea. Well, I'll tell you what's wrong, what was wrong with the GE model was that the main thing that they really loved is uh, Jack Walsh pushed, and we actually had to do for a little while, and it was just, that was horrible, was the bottom 10% gets fired every year. And that, that that's, that's a little rough term, after right. a while. Yeah, yeah, that works for two years, and then you're in you're in deep doo doo, you know. <laughs> you uh, can imagine. No. Imagine there was a comp- some sort of entity that had been, say, a semi-state or a state company, and it had really gone to seed, and you came in to shake it up for a year or two. That doesn't seem horrific. I mean, I wouldn't no. like to be at the ten percent, no. but and, and, it seems like there probably is ten percent of waste. But if you do that for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, I don't think it's waste anymore that's going. No, and Allison, if you if you had situations where the line managers were that way, you had the wrong line managers. Yeah. Then they then they should have been fired. If you can't if you can't make the tough call, as if you well, put the word manager the behind call? yourself, the tough well, well, the what tough is the tough call in that case. The, the the tough call is you either you either say, you know, Allison, you're not doing a good job, or Allison, you're not meeting expectations, and here's why. Here are specific hard examples of deadlines missed, tardiness, you know, whatever whatever the issue no, no, is. No. I, I'm not saying they wouldn't do that. What I'm saying is they felt that everybody was either an A plus, an A, or an A minus, and they had a good team. But in reality, that's not true. It, it, to, to me, no matter. No, wait, 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 stop there, stop You've there. You've got to have distribution. But why is it not, why, in your opinion, was that not true? Or is that just your opinion? Because if, I mean, because I, I contend that you can have an entire team of stars, of people that are A, A plus ranked. And, I, I and do there believe no that's possible. I do believe that's possible. But this is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. This is, you're saying stack ranking is bad because on very, very rare occasions, you end up with a team of all perfect performers. And that's not right. You can also have a team of complete and utter deadbeats. 
But that okay, doesn't mean you won't not, do stack breaking. But I'm saying, right, I, I think you're describing a system that's, that's not as rigid as what Microsoft had, because Microsoft was, was a very rigid implementation of this notion. Um, and to give you an, an alternative, the, the system that we're – I don't work in the private sector. I work in the public sector. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a government employee, but if you trace the money far enough, you eventually get back to the government. And the system we use is something called PMDS, which is Performance Management and Development System, where over a cycle we have to get – also with our line managers together agree on – the expectations for what each of us will achieve over the time period of the review. And then at the end, you know, so halfway through you have a review meeting where you discuss are you are you succeeding or failing at what you have set with the help of your manager as your goals. And then at the end of the review you get to the, okay, so we had agreed that two years from whenever you would be at X stage, are you there? Have you developed? Have you achieved? And then depending on that determines your career prospects so so can can i just ask the question then the, the getting it back to uh, the show um yes oh good point do, do, do we think Stop this it, actually <laughs> do we think this actually will make microsoft a more competitive company against apple whether it be on their phone or other software or uh, pieces of equipment because ideally that's what obviously microsoft is striving for they're trying to make themselves a better company and if this makes them more of a, a decent competitor against apple then actually that's good for everybody that is what i hope is enabled but i don't think just doing just changing how you rank your employees is never going to actually solve a problem in itself but i'm my belief is that by loosening up the way they're doing their ranking they're going to make it possible to have the kind of teams of great people that Apple build and that that will enable them to create better products because the stuff in their labs has always been good. It's the products that haven't really lived up to it. Actually, actually, I, I can bring it all together, Gaz, and, and what, what, what all of you guys said. Here's how it's going to work. So because they get rid of stack ranking, the marketing team who has been stack ranked all along but is actually that, that abnormal team of complete and utter morons can all be <laughs> fired now and because i actually don't think their products are that bad i think it's the marketing that's so bad i mean you can't figure out what tablet to buy because they got all these stupid naming conventions and their ads are are, are showing you making noise in a library with a keyboard you know i mean that's what the real problem is and that's where they got stacked raked and it was wrong i think i'm not sure if it's gates or bomber had the fetish that everything should be windows but that that is a problem both Oh, was it both? Well, if, if it's both, it's still a problem either way. And one of the things that made me very cranky was when the Courier project got binned in favor of bloody Windows Mobile and for the bloody Windows 8 sort of idea. They had a really good tablet OS. It was imaginative. It was good. And then they went for Windows 8. What, one thing it is definitely going to eliminate, it's going to eliminate that very human phenomenon of of fighting in teams and... <laughs> competing at, at the worst level, competing at the backstabbing kind of level, competing at the level where my project is is the way to go and your project is terrible. You know, it's it's going to I think it's got to get rid of that from a human nature standpoint so that I don't have to if I'm on a five person team, I don't have to worry about defending my position to to avoid being ranked the lowest person on the you know, on the on the ladder. Yeah, I think what, the best we can hope is that this removes barriers to cooperation within the company and that by doing that, the magic can flow. 
Do we all think that's a sensible summary? It's it's removes one of the barriers. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So the best case is that something things flow better. But, but if they in if they don't have any kind of ranking, I still contend that the the people who get demotivated are the top performers. Well, just so, actually, okay. And 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 you guys asked how I how I know that and and why I think that, and that's because the top performers were would come to me and say, "How come Bozo is still here and dragging our team down, and you're not doing anything to to make him stop being stupid?" Well, just okay. Just so there was a letter went out to all employees, and the bits in bold are probably worth reading because they're not getting rid of performance review. So they're saying in bold, more emphasis on teamwork and collaboration, more emphasis on employee growth and development, no more curve, no more ratings. So that's how they have bulleted mm, it. As no being... more curve. No more curve. I disagree. Okay, I think well, this, that, that yeah. will be destructive to the okay, high performers. Okay, well, in that case, I'll read the full paragraph on no more curve. We will continue to invest in a generous rewards budget, but there will no longer be a predetermined target distribution. Managers and leaders will have flexibility to allocate rewards in the, ma- in the manner that best reflects the performance of their team and individuals, as long as they stay within their compensation budget. Mm-mm. That, that, so that leaves so it open for them to peanut butter. Yeah, be, yeah, absolutely. So the, the managers will have to then still tell the best and the worst what they're getting. And the managers will have to decide, which is, you know, pretty much what they're there to do, isn't it? That's isn't the that word. what you pay them for? That's, isn't yeah, that the word? yeah. Yes. But the nicer ones don't like to hurt the loser's feet. Well, then they're, 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 well, well, they're Alison, Alison, they're, they're bad wrong. managers. They're bad yes. managers. And they, yes. their, their managers need to get them out. Okay, I consider myself a real hard nose. I am, I am tough. I mean, I had to lay people off. I've had to fire people, and I, and I just buckled down and did it, and I felt that that was my job. And I still, without the quota, would – and they never called it a quota, by the way. It was a guideline. And uh, I still – I would do it. I would peanut butter more than they made me. I absolutely would. Okay. All right, folks, we're at the one-hour point. Um <laughs> I kind of oh, – okay. do people object to us going a little long today? Because I do want to get some more Well, throw techie. those last stories. Get us off this stuff because okay, Chuck is well, still – I am what? hoping that, that, that <laughs> stack ranking dying is a positive thing. And if Alison gets to come on here in five years' time and tell me I was a silly, naive hippie, then I'll be very sad. <laughs> For two reasons. Because I want Microsoft to do better and because I don't like being wrong. Let's face it. Who does? <laughs> okay. It's three against one. We'll move on. Exactly. Um so the other stories I thought were of note were Apple are doing a little bit of um, investment, I think we'll call it. So they have bought PrimeSense, and they have also announced that they're going to start making their own scratch-proof glass out of cool sapphire stuff. Uh, and also, I think, to throw into the mix for the final sort of chit-chat is that Intel quietly said that, and yes, we'll be building 64-bit ARM chips starting next year. And the Samsung smartwatch failed. <laughs> so okay. the, out of that hodgepodge, does any, anything there grab people particularly as we're well, focusing the, on? The article that you pointed to on the Mac Observer about uh, 50,000 units sold, uh, Samsung says they shipped like 800,000. So there's been and, – and I don't believe that they shipped 750,000 more than they sold. I don't think that's probably true. There's, so that 50,000 um, sold ball. is in question. It's probably a low ball, yeah. From the other articles I've heard, so I mean, it, it, it clearly is not a resounding success that we would, could go along with that. Is anyone excited about the concept? Wait, wait uh, the concept overall, Bart, or Samsung's concept? Well, this sort of very 
this very literal interpretation of a watch as being the thing that in wearables is going to make us all so happy or something. No, it's going to be, it's going to be other wearables. It's not just, not just going to be a watch. We're going to move on from that. If it's just a watch, then there's going to be big size from all over the place because it, you'll get a very few uh, amount of people that are buying it, as I think Samsung are probably finding out. Um, I, I just don't see the watch as being the future, to be honest with you. I wish I could remember who to give credit for, but I read an article during during the month where someone basically said the problem with the Samsung watch is that it's a, it's a solution in search of a problem. Mm. I, I, I think the watch. I think the watch is a good thing, uh, depending on how it's implemented and what it can deliver. If it can be made small enough, or you know that it doesn't look like you're wearing an iPhone on your on your arm. It would be nice. I mean, I know how, I know I miss a lot of phone calls because my uh, my phone is in my pocket, and in a crowded environment, you don't hear it ringing. Or, you know, even better for for the other people, I've turned it to silent, and so I don't know it's going. If I could have something vibrate on my wrist or or alert me in some way, I would really like that. If I get a text message from Allison and I can look down and know it's from Allison, then I can ignore it. You know, it it's, <laughs> I mean, it, it just, I think, there, I think there is a place. I don't think that it's going to become the be-all, end-all of everything, but I do think it could easily have a, a very productive, useful place, at least in the way I use these devices. So you're seeing it there as an extension of your phone, so that your phone can sort of be somewhere vaguely in the presence of your person? Uh, it, yeah, maybe. I mean, depending yeah. on the implementation, I've, if my if I were wearing a smartwatch and I didn't have my phone with me and it could have the same that that same kind of function, especially with the text messages or the, or whatever, yeah, then I don't see it as an extension of the phone. I just see it as an extension of of my communication channels. I, I suppose it, it it'll be much better than uh, everybody just suddenly shaking their arm because it's the the, the watch is telling them they just had a call or something rather than all of the phones on the desk going because. <laughs> You go into meetings and that's all you hear. You get more than five or you know six people, and at some point you're going to get the phone that's rattling across, that's vibrating across the table. So if it's you know stabbing them on their arm, telling them that I've just had a uh, an email or a call, then yeah, that, I, I think that's that's probably better as long as they don't start tapping their arm on the on the table. Yeah, but it, does it does the what does it does the watch need to become an independent device rather than just an extension of a phone before it takes off? Do people think? Say, say that one more time. Right. So, so the Galaxy Gear, it's on its own. It's pretty worthless. It is an extended interface to their Galaxy range of smart devices. No, it? no, no, not their Galaxy range. To a specific phone, it's to the Note Three or whatever. It's it doesn't even work with like a, a Galaxy yeah. S Three or S Four. There were two or three, <laughs> maybe, but it's not a range. Oh, well, okay, okay a range, range of two. Word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Small but, subset. The point being is that it, in Samsung's initial envisioning of this space, it is very much an extension of a device that you have to carry with you. And I mean, I really, I like Chuck's idea that at some stage the phone goes out of the equation and I, at that stage are we not basically saying that the form factor of the phone becomes so compact it becomes the watch well Bart you're asking an awfully tough question because there, there are a couple of questions you have to ask before you get there mm-hmm. what, is the, what is the feature set yeah. you know, of, of this device can, can it replace my phone well I don't know because does it can I put, an, can I put a bluetooth earpiece in and make calls from my watch 
or does the whole concept of a phone go away and it's just I now have a, a communicator, for lack of a better term. Uh, it, it doesn't happen to be housed the other way. I also think there's some technical challenges here. I mean, a watch is not going to be able to have phone capabilities and some of the other capabilities if for no other reason than just for from battery life. Well, it's not so, now. But... Not, not now. So, you know, where, where and when does it become practical? I mean, let's, you know, let's go back to the original Apple Portable that looked like a sewing machine. <laughs> you know, okay, it was portable, but it really wasn't practical. And it wasn't until the technology advanced to the point that we could get the MacBooks or, or uh, what were they called before? I can't even remember. That's terrible. But, you know, the, the laptops, and then they just get smaller and more convenient. And now we have the Air. And now we have the iPad. Yeah. So I think I think there are questions here that if if you want to make some assumptions, then we can do some speculation. But otherwise, I th- I really think we're out th- out there sort of th- threshing around, and it's, it's, we're no better than the media who just an, a, a smartwatch, a smartwatch. Oh my God! Well, smart enough to do what? See, that's what I I can I just can't see the point, and I I just don't know if it's that I'm silly or what. But to, to me, I stopped wearing a watch. Probably at least a decade ago. I don't. I don't remember. The, I didn't write down the exact date, but I haven't had a watch on my arm in a very long time. And I, I just don't. I don't understand what substance there is behind the hysteria. And I don't think Samsung made me think there is any substance. I got to tell you, the one thing I'm thinking. My kids are getting a little too old to be leading indicators like they used to be for me. But um, <laughs> need some more, Alison. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> But I watched my son Kyle go through the phase of only using his phone as a watch. And, and uh, in fact, he thought we were big fat dorks for using watches. And then one day I see him wearing a watch and he says, you know, it's really convenient to just turn my arm and see the time instead of having to pull my phone out of my pocket. So I watched somebody evolve from this newfangled, you know, who needs a watch thing to start carrying a watch. It's actually really convenient to just tilt your wrist and see some. Yeah, maybe it's the fact that I always broke them. <laughs> I would always be banging my arm into things. I, I broke more watches than I can shake a stick at. And one day I just said, "No, nah, feck it, couldn't be bothered." <laughs> that, no, there was an e in that word, not a u. Yes, uh, thank you. It's allowed on Irish telly, so it must be okay. I'm like you, but I, I mean, I can't remember when I, I stopped wearing a watch. I mean, for me, there is a timepiece somewhere always that I can refer to. Um, but I understand the convenience of a, a quick wrist twist. Do you like that wrist twist? A wrist twist. Nice. Wrist Ooh, twist you should time. patent yeah. that idea. Yeah, I already have done that. It's all right. So what um, we need, right, is an e-ink <laughs> tattoo. It, I, I, what, I, what I was going to say, though, Bart, is it, it, it will become more relevant when it links up with an interface that is easily accessible. Because the watch on its own, it, I, may, we may be able to have the power to do as much as we can with the iPhone or with any other smartphone in a smaller device. That will come. We, that is on its on its way. Um, and the extra things that it can do will also evolve. But it's the interface between us and that device, which is the most difficult piece, I think, at this point. Until you can do something in mid-air to interact and it can show you what you're interacting with without having an extra piece of equipment to have to carry around, I think that's the next jump point. So, prime sense then? Possibly. Because don't they? Isn't there speciality 3D sensors like the Kinect, yep. which they were involved with initially? Yeah, but 
I, I think it's it. Yeah, I think we're a ways off that. Anyone particularly excited about the Intel story? Nope. Oh, oh. sorry. Okay, no, just honest. <laughs> we're, we're, we're at the wrapping up stages, so I don't you want to waste ask. time on on stuff no one cares about. I, I, the, the only other story there that I I, I kind of quite liked was uh, the uh, Apple, and th- this was really interesting getting that factory. Uh, with 700 new employees to to build the sapphire glass there seemed to be all sorts of politics going on and the structure to try and get them to be allowed to build the plant in arizona alone seemed to be a story and a half you could almost take a a show up with that story on its own um because it had to go through so many uh, processes before it then finally was agreed to Uh, and the fact that apple are building it and then the company who they're going to be handing the the factory over to another company who are obviously going to be paying them for it. It all sounds a, a wonderful story, um, but I think it's it is great that again, and it shows that Apple are trying to take command of as much of the processes as they can, and that's something Apple have always wanted to do. And I think we'll just see more and more of that. Uh, that story did confuse me a lot, uh, Gaz. The there was a, a lot of stuff about them getting. Uh, calling it a foreign tax region or something? Yeah, that's right. And, that's and right. What, Arizona's foreign for me, but it's not foreign for you. Well, and, and and I couldn't figure out why. Well, they, 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 it well, was they, they didn't except that they wanted to. It was like here's a bribe. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Right. I think pretty, pretty much, Alison. I think that was part of the process that they that they had lots of other options to build a factory elsewhere, and one of the options there, I think, was that they could detail it as this foreign what 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 was the words you the wording you used uh foreign tax region foreign I think they tax it. region yeah they were going to extend it from a another local area i believe into that and i think that's pretty much what it did it, it doesn't then why and them. how i mean what well well that, that was never explained other well, than it's a other than other than the fact that it basically had to go through at least seven bodies or eight bodies to actually authorize it, and the last body they had a couple of people that said no we did, we're not going to do that and then it was pointed out to them that the amount of money that it would bring to the area on top of the you know the fact that they were paying them back or not they're not charging them as much they weren't going to have to pay as much tax in the in the building because it's comes under this regulation it's re- it's basically a bribe to bring them in in that's what it is because you see it in europe all the time uh and they, so they'll our, put that company i talked about that i used to work for uh had a, a plant built in arizona moved from california where i think they actually gave us the property we paid something like a dollar a year lease now, i don't have yeah. that as a fact 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 but it was uh, a, a well-established rumor in my company that that was true. And I don't – I mean, they can do whatever they want, I guess. Well, it, it, they, they can. What, what, they're, what they're trying to do is get the employment there. That's what they're looking for. They're trying to get the business there because it will create other uh, wealth other than the right. fact that they're paying But I don't see how money. you call it a foreign land. That well, was the one piece of the <laughs> Well, I, I think what they'll do is that... Politics, Alison. What they'll probably do, say, is that they're actually exporting X amount of that product, and that will deem them to be able to allocate it, that, um, you know, that stipulation. Hmm. There's an arcane loophole somewhere. There will be. Or if there isn't, those seven other authorities will now have authorised that loophole. Yeah, if there isn't, if there wasn't, there is, <laughs> or something like that. 
ultimately, of course, it's all very good for Apple because they get to continue to say we're making more things in the US, which continues to get them off the hook and probably less likely to get hauled up in front of Congress again. Anyway, folks, thank you very much for your time today. Sorry for going slightly over, but uh, I don't know. It just seemed I, I didn't want to end on politics. Yeah. <laughs> cleaned, our, cleaned our palate. We cleaned ended our up palate back to politics. Some, <laughs> with some proper tech. And hopefully December, surely December will be a politics-free month. Sure it will, be. Sure. Yeah. We <laughs> Since when? <we'll> see. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. We'll go out in reverse order. So Gaz from the MyMac podcast over at MyMac.com. Uh, over at, yeah, or mymacpodcast.com, or you can find uh, other links at gazmas.com or on the Twitters, twitter.com forward slash gazmas. Excellent, perfect. Thank you very much, Gaz. Uh, Chuck, macvoices.com, obviously. Anything else? Uh, Chuck Joyner on Twitter. Love to see you there. Thanks. That's all one word, yeah? Yes, one, one big word. Yeah, it could have been underscores or something. <laughs> yeah, Although that's very old-fashioned. Yeah, I, I got in early. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, actually. It doesn't make a difference. Uh, yeah. I couldn't go with my first name. Um, Alison from the Nocillacast Mag podcast, hosted over at podfeed.com with an ever so slight Macintosh bias. Thank you very much for your time. Couldn't have done any better myself, Bart. And podfeed on Twitter. Podfeed on Twitter. And uh, that actually hurts my vocal cords, by the way. <laughs> uh, I've been your host, Bart Bouchotts. You can find me at bartb.ie. And if you'd like to send us some feedback on the show, maybe you'd like to tell us not to do politics again, or maybe, maybe you enjoyed it. Strangely, it's possible. Uh, you can find the show over at lets-talk.ie where you'll find links to our various presences on social media and stuff and a good old-fashioned contact form where you can just contact us. So, until next time, happy computing. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Elisa Pacelli, Suze Gilbert, Vicky Stokes, women, savvy, geeks, three geeky ladies, technology from a female perspective. <laughs>